Thank you very much. If y'all didn't see, um, it is time for Children's Church. If you're a visitor with us, uh, we invite any of our children um, to go and to have a time where they'll have a lesson um, that is suitable for their age group at this time. They can go to the back, and, uh, and our volunteers will take them to Children's Church. For those of you that are staying in here, if you would turn with me to Luke chapter 22. Some of you may have already been headed to Acts Uh, But we are going to take a break from Acts for three weeks. We are working our way toward Easter, and so this is the official beginning of our Easter series, although last week did tie in with it. Um, So we're going to look. We've been in Acts for several weeks now. We looked at the introduction of the book of Acts. We've been through chapter 1. We're into chapter 2. And so this year, as we work our way through the Passion text, leading up to the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus uh, that we celebrate on Easter, we're going to look in the book of Luke because the book of Acts is written by Luke. It's the second letter that he wrote. And so we're going to look at his first letter. So you'll probably notice a lot of the language will sound the same, a lot of the writing will sound the same. It's because this is the same writer that we have for the book of Acts And so we're going to look at that. If you would, in Luke chapter 22, find verse 66. That will be the beginning of our text for today. I'd like to read it. And since we are moving to a different book than we've been for the last several weeks, I want to read this verse and then give you some of the background, help us understand where we are, what the setting, what's going on here. So Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 66, says, When day came... The assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council. And they said, and we'll stop there and we'll see in just a moment what it is that they say to Jesus. But we see here, and of course, again, we should always, anytime you open your Bible to read, anytime during your daily reading time, anytime you're going to study, we want to ask a couple of questions, right? We want to know, well, who is here Uh, What's been going on? We want to know the setting. We want to understand the context so that we can understand exactly what is going on here. And so there are several things. This begins by saying when day came, right? So when, when morning breaks, when the morning got here, when day came. So we might immediately ask the question, well, what happened the night before? If something has gone on that they say when day finally got here, this is what's happening. We could ask what happened the night before. And this was a very significant night. This, in the bigger context, is toward the end of Jesus' life. This is toward the end of his ministry. So he has been uh, ministering and teaching and and doing miracles and sharing about the kingdom of God and proclaiming uh, repentance to people for years now. And it's come toward the end of his life. And it finally came to the point where the Jewish rulers found their way in. They've wanted some way to be able to arrest Jesus. They've wanted to find some way that they could convict him of doing wrong, and they found their in, if you will, with Judas, one of the 12 disciples who who took a bribe and was willing to betray Jesus for some money. And so on the night before this trial that we're looking at, what happened is Jesus was praying in the garden, and Judas came and led the leaders of the Jewish people. He led a, a detachment of their, uh, their troops, and they came, and he said, I'll give you a sign. The one that I walk up and kiss on the cheek 
is the one that you need to arrest. He is the one that is causing these issues. And so he comes up and he gives them the sign and it serves as a witness. And so they arrest Jesus. I want you to just think about this for just a moment. The setting here is Jesus standing at a trial before the Jewish leaders. But on the night before this, Jesus has not slept. He has prayed a very earnest prayer to God. And after praying this great, strong, and earnest prayer, he has been betrayed by one of the 12 men that he has held closest for years and years now. He has been denied three times by the leader of those 12, Peter. And he has been beaten and mocked by the Jewish people that are his people. This is what the night looked like for Jesus. This is what this night has held. This is what he has endured throughout this entire night. And now, after all of that, after Judas betrays him and after, uh, after Peter denies him and after the soldiers have beaten him and mocked him and made fun of him, he is now standing on trial before the assembly of the elders including both the chief priests and the scribes. And why is that significant? This isn't a group of Roman people. This isn't a Roman council that he stands before. These are the Jewish people. These are the elders of the Hebrew people. These are his people. Right? Sometimes we get this mixed up and sometimes we forget. Amanda and I just last night were talking about understanding the trinity and trying to grasp the idea of the trinity and we're not going to i'm not going to try and go into that this morning but what we understand from the scriptures is this that there is one god right there uh, there's a manifestation of three persons that we see of god the father god the son and god the holy spirit but they are one god they are unified there is only one god and so when we talk about in the old testament god like we saw last week, bringing about Passover in Egypt and sending the plagues and, and rescuing his people from Egypt and bringing them out and meeting with them at Mount Sinai and making a covenant to say, I am your God. That's not God the Father separate from Jesus. That's the whole Trinity. right? So Jesus, you can say Jesus has brought these people from being slaves in Egypt to being their own people. And for years and years, hundreds of years, has been with them and has protected them from enemies and has blessed them when they didn't deserve blessings and has loved them. And those people that he has created and saved and set apart to be his people are now beating him and denying him and betraying him and mocking him and hoping to have him crucified. That's what Jesus is standing before right here. And I can't imagine what that feels like. These people that would not exist without his power. These people that would not be a people without him are now trying to have him killed. But that's what we're looking at. When we look at this text today, this is where Jesus is standing. And so there, we're going to look at the trial before the Jewish council this morning. There are just three things I want to see, real simple. I want you to see what they accuse him of. I want you to see how he responds to their accusations, and then we'll see what he does, what they do with that. What they accuse him of, how he responds to those accusations, 
and what the next step is, and then that will lead us toward next week. But for this morning, let's begin. Look back in verse 67. We'll pick back up there to see what they said to him on this morning, standing before this council. Luke twenty-two sixty-seven. If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe, and if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, You say that I am. Then they said, What further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. So there are two question-ish. One is an actual question. One is something that they say in hopes that he'll respond to it. They say, If you are the Christ, tell us. I don't know what that is in, in legal language. I'd have to ask Jason. I don't know. Whenever you ask somebody, it's not really a question, but you want them to respond. Whatever that is, they tell him that. If you are the Christ, tell us. And then they also clearly ask him, are you the Son of God? These are the two things that they want Jesus to respond to. And, of course, they, they already know his answer to these questions because they've heard his teaching. Right? These are Jewish people. He's been going around. They've seen him. They have heard him. They've heard him teach in person. They've heard what he says through other people. So they know that he says that he is the Christ. They know that he claims to be the Son of God. But what they're doing here is trying to have an official trial. And what they need is Jesus to say that he is. Because if he says that he is the Christ, if he says that he is the Son of God, then what they now have is enough ammunition that they, can, that they could bring him to the point of death, both in Jewish law in their minds and under Roman law. Because for them to say, if somebody says that he is equal with God, that that is blasphemy and that he could be killed for that. And under Roman law, if you say that you are the Christ, which is just the New Testament term for the Messiah, then what you're saying is, I am the rightful leader of the Jewish people. I am the one that they have been waiting for. I am the promised one that has been coming to save them. I am their savior. I am their ruler. I am the one that they should follow. And I don't know how much you know about Rome and Roman culture, but I can tell you this. They were not okay with people saying, I am the rightful ruler of anyone unless your name was Caesar. And so if, if Jesus says, I am the Messiah, I am the Christ, I am the ruler of the Jewish people, then all of a sudden, that's sedition, and the Romans can put him to death as well. And so that's what they want him to do. They want him to say in an official trial setting, I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. I am the chosen one. I am the Son of God. Any of these things would suffice for them. So point one this morning, Jesus was tried for being who he was. I want you to think about that for a moment. As you think about the trial of Jesus, as you think about the Jewish people putting him on trial, as you think about the Romans putting him on trial as he stands before Pilate, that's what he's being tried for. They're trying him for being who he is. So this is Jesus, who we know is God in human flesh, who has lived forever, who has created all things and he comes to earth in order to save the people that he has created because they're not just slaves to the Romans and they have not just been slaves to Egypt, but they're slaves to sin. We're all slaves to sin. We're born as slaves to sin. And he has come to set us free from that. 
And we are all under the death penalty because of sin. Every person that ever is born is under the death penalty. And will die, and not just die here, physical death, but spiritually dead, separated from God. And so Jesus has come to remove the curse of sin. He has come to make it so we're no longer slaves to sin. He has come to remove the death penalty and make it so that we will, we will leave this earth, but we will not die spiritually, that we'll be alive. He has come to reconcile us to Himself, to reconcile us to God so that we could have eternal life forever in glorious heaven. That's why He's come, and now He's being put on trial for that. They're seeking to kill Him for being the loving, gracious, merciful God that he is. That's what they're doing here. They just want him to say, I am who I really am. That's all they're looking for. So let's see Jesus' answer. How does he answer these questions? Look in verse 67. If you're the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. And here in verse 69, we see the answer that they are looking for, but we also see the answer that I pray that we are looking for. Because what happens in the midst of this trial is Jesus explains who he is. And it gives you and it gives me a better glimpse of, of who Jesus is. So he gives us two pictures in verse 69. He, he first of all refers to himself as the Son of Man, which was one of Jesus' favorite terms to describe himself. He often described himself as the Son of Man. And the Son of Man is this beautiful picture. If you were with us last year when we went through the book of Daniel, you may remember in, in Daniel chapter 7 in this vision there's, there's this one who looks like the Son of Man. And it's where this term, the New Testament term that Jesus uses for himself, that we understand it comes from. And this is what Daniel chapter 7 said about this one who looked like a Son of Man. It says that he, he goes to the one that was everlasting. He's there with God the Father. And it says, Dominion and glory and a kingdom were given to him that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. And so what we see here is when Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man, we just hear Son of Man, but what they hear is Jesus is saying, I am the one that has all dominion and all glory. I am the one that rules over God's kingdom. I am the one that all peoples and everyone should bow down to and serve. I am the one that is everlasting, who was never created, and who will never end. And that is who I am. Which sounds amazing to us. But it didn't sound so good to this Jewish council. There's another picture here whenever he says the Son of Man. They knew he was referring to himself. He referred to himself that way often. For now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. And we're not going to spend too much time, but if you go back and read Psalm 110, for those of you that are note takers, you can write that down. He's invoking to them the picture of Psalm 110. In Psalm 110, what we see is David... Writing this song, King David, you have to remember for the Jewish people, this was the par excellent king. He was the greatest king 
that they had had in their history. He was the one that they loved, that they were waiting for the next David to come. So whenever David wrote Psalm 110, David, the greatest king ever, sees this vision. He's saying, I see my Lord, my king, seated at the right hand of God the Father. And so what Jesus is saying here is, I am David's king. The king that you love more than any other king that you've ever had, he calls me his king. I am his Lord. I am the one that sits at the right hand of God the Father. I am the one that has the authority of God. I am the one that is equal with God. I am the one that judges the nations with God. All of these are pictures from Psalm 110. And so for the Jewish people, this was clearly blasphemy. Jesus says, God and I are one in the same. We have the same authority, we have the same power, we have, we have been forever, and this is what he's declaring. Point two this morning, Jesus declared that he is equal with God in authority, and he is. And of course he is, because they are the same we know that. We have seen that clearly throughout Scripture. And so Jesus here declares that to this council. This is his answer. I, the Son of Man, will be seated at the right hand of God. That is where I'm headed. That is what I'm going to do. And so then they said, are you the Son of God? And he said to them, you say that I am. And so what we understand here, and I, I don't want you to get so caught up in the trial scene or so caught up in the setting or so caught up in what Jesus has dealt with that night. Those are all significant. But I don't want you to get so caught up in those things that you miss what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying that I am the one that's greater than David. David was a good king, but I am the capital M Messiah, the anointed one, the promised one, the Savior, the ruler, the rightful ruler of Israel. Jesus is saying, I am the one that is equal with God because I am God. Jesus is saying, I am the one that will sit at the right hand of God the Father. I am the one that will come back and judge all people. He's saying that I am the one that will rule an eternal kingdom. He's saying, I am the Son of Man that has been given all authority and all dominion, and I am the one that you should bow down and worship. And these people could not stand to hear these words, but brothers and sisters, our hearts should be overjoyed to hear these things. Because the one that we believe left heaven and came to earth in order to save us is saying, I am the one that came to save you. That's why I'm here. That's what I'm doing here. I am the Messiah. I am the promised one. And so Jesus is declaring what we already believe about him. That he is eternal and that he is loving and that he is kind and that he came to die and come back to life so that we could be set free from sin and so that we could be set free from death. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is confirming what our entire faith is based on in this trial. That's good news. That is exciting news for us to hear. And so it's clear, as you look through Scripture, it's clear that, that, that this is how I understand what Jesus is saying here. You'll also see whenever we go through the rest of Acts chapter 2, that that's what, un, that's what Peter understood. He's going to quote some of these things of Jesus in Acts chapter 2. 
showing that Jesus is truly the Messiah, that he is truly God. It's clear that this is what Jesus understands because he tells us that he is the Son of Man. He's used that term for himself many times. But it's also clear that these Jewish people, this council, that that's what they understand Jesus is saying as well. They understand that he is declaring that he is God, that he is the rightful ruler, because we see that in verse 71 in their response. Then they said, what further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips and follow right into chapter 23 as they take him to the Roman procurator Pilate. Then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate, and they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ a king. They understood the same thing that I pray that we understand this morning, that Jesus is saying that he is the Christ, that he is the rightful king. So in the end, this is what happens at this trial. They stand there and they hear Jesus say, I'm God. God and I are the same. They understand Jesus to say that he has created them, that he is the one that has loved them since eternity past, that he is the one that has blessed them in all the ways that they've been blessed through the years. Right? They want to believe that God has done that, but they don't want to believe that Jesus is one with them. They, they hear him saying, I am the Messiah. I am the one that has, been, that has come here to set you free and to reconcile you to myself and to reconcile you to God. That's what they hear him saying, that he is the chosen one, and they hated him for it. And so my question to you this morning is, how do you respond to this? How do you respond to Jesus telling you who he is? Whenever you hear Jesus say that he is the rightful ruler of everything, how does that make you feel? When Jesus says, I'm the one that created you and without me you are nothing, how does that make you feel? When he says, I'm the one that's worthy of your worship, I'm the one that you should bow down and praise, I am the one that is smarter and more wise than you, I'm the one whose example you should follow. You shouldn't follow your heart. You should follow my example. You should follow my teachings. You should yield your life to me. You should do with your finances what I tell you to do with your finances. You should do with your free time what I tell you to do with your free time. You should love your spouse the way that I tell you to love your spouse. You should raise your children the way that I tell you to raise your children. And to some of you, that is a provoking thing to hear because you want to be in charge of all those things. And that's exactly what we had here with the Jewish people. When they hear these things come out of Jesus' mouth throughout his life, they were outraged. They were furious. They wanted him crucified. The worst punishment they could possibly find, that's what they wanted for him. But brothers and sisters, I ask you this morning, do you respond that way or do you respond with a resounding yes? Yes, you are. Yes, you are deserving of everything that I have and everything that I am. Yes, you are truly God and I believe that. 
Do you respond by yielding your life to Him? Because you know that He is these things. You know He's more powerful and more wise and more smart and more loving and more caring and more gracious and more perfect than you are. Because there's really no in-between ground. When somebody says that I deserve to choose what you do with your life more than you do, either you fight against that or you yield to that. And I ask you this morning, which one are you? Which camp are you in? And if you're here and you find yourself fighting against that, constantly wanting to be in control and not giving up to Christ, I would ask you, have you ever responded in faith to Him? Because I talked about Him being the one that's come to set us free from sin and Him being the one that's come to give us eternal life. But that's only for those that have responded in faith to Him. That's only for those people that recognize that He is who He says He is and that have given their life to Him. And if you've never done that, I want you to realize that, that for our text this morning, his death and resurrection are in the future, but for you and me sitting here today, it's in the past. He's already died as the perfect sacrifice, and he's already come back to life. He's already sitting at the right hand of God the Father right now, this very moment. That's where Christ is, and one day he's going to return, and we will recognize, everyone will recognize that he is who he said he is. And so this morning, if for the first time you believe that, you understand that, that the Lord has worked in you and brought you to the point of accepting that, and I pray that you would come in just a moment when we have a time of response and that you would share that with us, that we could celebrate with you this wonderful work that God's done in your life. But I also pray that if you're here this morning and you know that you're a Christian, I'm going to invite you to stand. In a moment, we're going to have a time of response. It's going to be a little bit different. Sometimes our time of response are, are slow and, and simple songs. But this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to declare that everything that Jesus has said is true. I want us to celebrate. I want us to sing joyfully. Look, if you need to pray, then you spend time praying. But if not, then I want us to celebrate. And this morning, our time of response is going to be, once again, singing, Crown Him with Many Crowns. That we recognize that He is who He says He is. So this morning, let's sing joyfully.